0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God we're going to talk about your health in the kingdom of God. Because the the kingdom of God is for the living. It's not for the dead. And, of course, we want you to be healthy. We want you to have a healthy life, a prosperous life. But we want you to have, more than anything, a righteous life. And that righteous life means that you have to care about others, as much as you care about yourself, and you have to seek the righteousness of God in that pursuit. And the righteousness of God would include not coveting your neighbor's goods, not praying to men who exercise authority one over the other, even though they call themselves benefactors, they only give away what they take away from your neighbor. And that would be covetous. That would be not keeping the commandments. And when Christ was asked, what must I do to obtain eternal life? He said, keep the commandments. Now, modern churches are saying, no, you don't have to keep the commandments. You just have to think a thought. You have to really think really hard about a thought. And then if you believe that thought, then you're saved. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, not those who say, but those who do. You're not going to be able to do enough. You're still going to be saved by grace. But you have to be like the prodigal son on the way back to do. And when you get back to do, you have to actually do. Because it's the doers of the words, not the hearers only. Not the son who says, yeah, I'll do it, but doesn't. But the son who says and does. The one son who said he wasn't going to do it, but then he changed his mind and came back and did it. Which one was the true son? So, you have to actually actively love your neighbor as yourself. You actually have to care about him, And you have to not want to hire men to force your neighbor to do what you think is right. And that's a big challenge. That's a big temptation to want to force your neighbor to do what's right. And I, I've told the story before in the local community. They wanted to put in a health care clinic. Uh, it's not right in this valley. It's in the next valley. But it would be far closer than the nearest hospital, which is 100 miles away. And um, actually, there's a hospital that's a little bit closer. But nobody goes in that direction unless they want to die because it's a terrible, terrible hospital. But there isn't any real close medical care except for this health clinic they wanted to build in the next valley over. And I was helping them do it. It was all volunteer work. People were, uh, we were laying out plans. We were doing all kinds of legwork. And then somebody came in and said, of course, you know, we're going to have to put this on the tax rolls. And I said, if you go to even begin to try to put this on the tax rolls, I'm not going to help you anymore at all. Because that's against Christ. To force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And that's what the tax rolls does. And there were two Christian ladies in the car when I was explaining this, and they didn't want to hear it. They wanted to believe that they're saved. Because they believe in Jesus. But they don't do what he says. They want, they want to pray to men who exercise authority to get their health clinic because the health clinic could be so good. It's a good thing to have a health clinic. They don't want to look at how they're getting it. How they're getting it is they send men with guns to their neighbor's house, or at least threaten to, if they don't contribute to what they think you ought to have, which is a health clinic. And they can't see that that's wrong. Because they're under a strong delusion called modern Christianity. It has nothing to do with Christ. It's actually opposed to Christ. It's anti-Christ. It's the synagogue of Satan. And it's most of your churches. They're also the synagogue of Satan because they're the synagogue of the adversaries of Christ. They want to believe that it's okay to force their neighbor to contribute to what they think is good. And they've had this idea for a hundred years. And, of course, here I come along saying, Hey, you know, that's not good. That's bad. That's evil. And they go, What are you talking about? We've been doing this for a hundred years. We've been, we've been forcing our neighbor to pay for our education of our children. We call it public schools. We think that's great. But Christ thinks that makes the word of God to none effect. That, that applying for benefits that are provided by men who exercise authority by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your public education your public health care, your welfare. To force people to do that, even if you do it legally by law, seduce them into contracts where they have to do it, you've returned them to the bondage of Egypt. And it's worse today, because in the bondage of Egypt, you had a ceiling in them, and you only had to pay in 20%. Of your labor in a given year to the government, and they would provide you with all kinds of wonderful benefits—leeks and onions and straw and, and and wonderful benefits. But you didn't see this, and your ministers didn't tell you, and you have gone back into the bondage of Egypt. You have been entangled again in the elements of the world, and they are going to fail. So that's the the bad news. It's also the good news because it's good news to know you screwed up. And now you can fix it. Now you can do something about it. Now you can change. Now you can repent. You can turn around and go another way. And I just sent out uh on the network, on the Living Network, to all the groups... At least I hope it got sent out. <laughs> Telling them that I was going to be on this broadcast in a few minutes. And we were going to talk about health care. Uh, isn't that a good idea? Talk about health Because health care costs are going, they're skyrocketing. But that's okay. Don't worry. Uh, the United States has implemented uh, Obamacare. And Obamacare will save you, right? No, it won't. It will bankrupt the nation just like it did ancient Rome at the time of the early Christians when they established universal health care. You didn't know that? You didn't know that Christians were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And along comes an emperor, I think it was Nerva, who established universal health care in Rome. And it just about completely bankrupt the society. it was already pretty much bankrupt anyway. They had already taken the silver out of the Roman silver denarii. Wait a minute. You guys guys did that too. You took the silver out of your money way back in 1964. See, you didn't know that history repeats itself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've gone the way of Rome. You've gone the way of Egypt. You're not going the way of Christ. You haven't been doing that for a hundred years. you just been playing church. I just was talking to, a through email through our network to a fellow in Australia. And uh, we sent several things back and forth. And he's been around for a while on the network. But he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't understand what we're talking about. And so, you know, I was helping out the local minister there by responding and being Mr. Nasty. (laughs) I just laid it out. I says, well, you got your religion. You belong to the state religion. You're merchandise. You've already taken the mark of the beast so that you could go around and play religion. That's what it comes down to. I wasn't quite that rough on him, but basically I come down to it. And he's been on the group for a long time. He's seen the articles sent to him and he says, what religion do I, be- state religion do I belong to? What are you talking about? He hasn't got a clue. It's like he hasn't read a single article. And I mean, we just posted, not too long ago, an article. Um, that word you use, on newsabuse.com and we posted it also on our own website and we've sent the links out and we've sent audios out in relationship to it and he doesn't seem to have a clue what we're talking about because the articles were that word you use, religion and we showed very clearly in that article that the word religion 200 years ago in America meant the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That's what the definition of religion was. See, now religion is just what you think. You just think a thought and you're saved. Yeah, It's your opinion about a supreme being. That's religion today. That's the way it's defined today in the dictionary. Well if you change the meaning of the word religion, when you read the word religion in the Bible or in the Constitution, you're not gonna know what they're talking about. You're gonna think they're talking about your opinion of the Almighty, the Supreme Being. That's the word they use, Supreme Being. And that's not religion. That's just your opinion. That's not the way it was defined 200 years ago, and it certainly wasn't the way it was defined 2,000 years ago. Religion was the system by which you fulfilled your obligation to God and your fellow man. And what's your obligation? To love your neighbor as yourself. Moses told you. Jesus told you. So how do you love your neighbor? You send people to their house to force them to contribute to your free education at school. That's what you do. Now you want to do it with your health care. That's your religion. That's how you take care of the needy in your society. Pure religion is to do that unspotted by the world. And the word world there in James, where he talks about pure religion and taking care of the needy, the widows and orphans of your society, whoever is in need. When he says unspotted by the world, he says unspotted by the constitutional order and system of government that you establish for yourself. You see, the government you have, God didn't establish that. You did. You established that. You greedy sons of guns? You've decided you wanted benefits at the expense of your neighbor and you call that love? You're gonna, if he doesn't pay for your child's education, contribute to your child's education, you're gonna take his house away from him. That's right. Had a neighbor who voted for an increase in inheritance tax. He wasn't going to get any inheritance tax, probably, because his parents are, I think they've all passed away. Well, his mother might not have, but anyway, he's not even thinking about that. But he wanted an increase in inheritance tax, and I said, what are you thinking? And he says, well, we you have to look at the budget. We need the revenue." See, it's about what he wants and what what he needs. You need, we need public education. If we don't have public education, our kids are going to stay home. And we might have to teach them ourselves. Oh my gosh. Bible says, fathers teach thy sons. Modern church says, send your kids to public school. Force your neighbor to pay for his education. And now they've taken another step and they're going to force their neighbor to pay for their health care. You don't have to do that. Because I can tell you this, kids are not better educated coming out of school today than they were. There's more illiteracy in America today than there was a hundred years ago when most education was not in public schools. Did you know that? That a hundred years ago, most of the children that were educated in America, which was the highest standard of education in the world, never attended public school. Isn't that amazing? Because there wasn't that many public schools around. And even then, you know, a hundred and twenty years ago, Public schools were often supported by private contributions. They were public schools, and they were supported by some taxation and uh, and land that was set aside for education to begin with, which was actually, in my opinion, a mistake. But anyway the the point is is that the public schools receive private donations. Uh, often, you know, I can. I just actually was working on an old, old schoolhouse it was built uh, almost uh, over a hundred years ago, and it was uh, it was built by the local community. They actually built it themselves, and the teachers stayed with local families. The, uh, out of their own, they weren't paid. They just took care of the teacher because they knew the teacher, they wanted to know that teacher because they were going to be educating their kids. Now I just, I just heard a story yesterday about a teacher that had been molesting a child for eight years in school. Molested, even charged with raping a young boy. For eight years while this boy attended public education. And he was just convicted of that. And uh, the the boy is now 21 years old. And the father has discovered that, uh, you know, what the problem was all these years. they, They saw their son was having these unbelievable fits of temper and anger and everything. He was carrying around this terrible guilt and burden. And, I mean, the teacher originally seduced him by getting him drunk, by giving him what he said was pop and was actually alcohol. <laughs> that, that's where the teacher started. The boy was 13 at the time. And now get this. I mean, that, that's terrible. I mean, it's horrible, right? Yeah, Everybody thinks that. It's horrible. Well, get this. Now, during the trial, teachers at that school stood behind the teacher. They even wrote a letter to the judge saying, you know, this is his first offense. First offense? This went on for eight years. It's not an offense because he got caught. It's an offense because he was doing it for eight years. It's not the first offense. It's a long chain of offenses. It's just the first time he got caught. I mean, th- these are the people teaching your kids. Are you crazy? They wanted lenience for him. The boy doesn't seem to be harmed. He's hardy, still a straight-A student. Nothing about the emotional trauma for years, the scars emotionally of being, uh, you know, uh, uh, made drunk. By a lying, filthy, evil sodomite who wanted to prey on children for his own self-gratification. And they're supporting him. So now the, the parents wanted those teachers exposed. And when they exposed those teachers as this is the kind of teacher that's in the school, people didn't want their kids being taught by teachers that would support a sodomite plying unknowns to the young boy with liquor so that he could take advantage of them and abuse him. They didn't want teachers who supported that and think that's not so bad They wanted those teachers, they didn't want those teachers teaching their kids. They wanted those teachers fired. School board wouldn't fire them. Well, if we fire them, they could sue us. Why? Well, that is freedom of speech. They're not firing them because they spoke. They're firing them because they're perverts. But the school board won't back it. So the people are making a stink about it. You know, they're, they're, they're bringing this to light. And so they got their garage firebombed because they're exposing the corruption of these teachers. Now, who, what kind of support are we getting? Now, we got teachers supporting uh, the rape of children, getting children drunk so that you can rape them. Laying guilt upon them, saying, you know, that, you know, your parents will be ashamed of you, and, and, and people will lose their job, and, and this, if you expose the fact that I am forcing sex on you, this is what's going to happen. So they, they put that burden on this young boy. Just, ashamed and laden with guilt and abused by this man for years. And the teacher's supporting that. What kind of mindset goes? Other things in the news. Uh Three boys were bored so they shot an Australian boy, white boy, just walking down the street they didn't even know him. He was just walking down the street and they said, let's go kill him. They're bored. That's what they wanted to do because they're bored. That's what they said. That's why they did it. And they went up and killed this Australian boy who was going to school in Kansas. I think he had some sort of baseball scholarship or something. Just shot him. Just killed him. You know, and then other stories come up about other people killing and, and torturing people. And we don't hear about that in the news. Instead, we get this goofy story about... Trayvon in the news which you know a guy who clearly a guy who is not racially biased he's partially black himself he's Hispanic he's against the criminal element that is robbing his neighbors breaking into homes and he saw this suspicious looking individual and he reported it to the police and they told him you know don't don't follow the person and so he's going back to his car And the person assaults him. Bashes his head into the sidewalk. And people make a big deal out of it. They don't make a big deal out of the guys who rape and torture and murder. What's the deal? There's a cognitive dissonance going on in America today. And why is that? It's the same reason that you have this health care coming up. And when we get back, we're going to talk about what you can do that Christ would agree with. That will take your mind back to Christ and a back to the ways of God, and we'll we'll look at that and a few other things when we come back. But I uh, I don't want you to go away without realizing that there are solutions, and Christ gave them to us, and we have to follow those solutions to the end and to a, a conclusion that will give us life, and life more abundant. So, anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we'll explore some of these alternative solutions that we call the Kingdom of God. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're talking about healthcare. care. Of course, we're going about it through the long way around because there's a mindset that must be changed in order to have a healthcare system like the kingdom of God would recommend. We know the kingdoms of the world establish socialist-type health care systems where you force your neighbor to pay for your benefits. And we know that that leads to a selfish society, and a selfish society is a society in which people, when they're bored, they say, "Let's go out and kill somebody," because what's life? I mean, their neighbor means nothing to them. I mean, you don't have to get that degenerate. The people wonder, well, how, how to? Where? What are these people thinking? They're thinking what you're teaching them to think. A hundred years ago, you got the idea that it was okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your education. And now it's led to a society in where people think that it's okay to force their neighbor to pay for their health care. And you can go have all the vote you want, but most of the people are going to vote for that health care. Because they want what they want. And they want it now. And they don't care about their neighbor. What's their neighbor to them? They don't need their neighbor, they got government. You see, this is where, this is where you're going when you turn down that road away from Christ, which is where your churches have been taking you for a hundred years. I mean, it didn't all start that way, but this is where they've got. That's why Saul Alinsky, Solinsky, who dedicated his book to Satan, uh, and promotes a socialist agenda, made his greatest progress in churches. because churches think socialism is okay. It's okay to force your neighbor because God made the government. Who said God made the government? I've seen the Constitution. God's name isn't on it. They talk about the. I mean, he didn't sign it. Men created it. And you've gone miles away from the original intent of the Constitution because the Constitution was missing four major ingredients, which we talk about in our series on contracts, covenants, and constitutions. The Bible had five major ingredients to have in your Constitution if you were going to elect men who could exercise authority, you know, executive officers, etc., or lawmakers, or judiciary. And you had to put these five elements in your Constitution. You only got one in your Constitution. One of those five is in your constitution. Yeah, Madison wrote that there were serious problems, and he's advocating the Constitution. He dismissed these important elements because why? Because the church was already straying even way back then. Church strayed <laughs> Church started straying at Constantine not that the Constantine had anything to do with the church or the church had anything to do with Constantine Constantine was starting his own church and yeah he he, he had a meeting where he said okay everybody's got to come everybody all Christians must send their bishops to our meeting there were there were over 1200 known bishops that were to come and if you counted uh you know, they might come with somebody else, you would expect to see, you know, 2,400 to 3,000, maybe 4,000 bishops show up, right? Well, you had 319 people show up. 319. That's not a quorum. That's hardly anybody. And the next meeting they had like that, 150 showed up. Who was showing up? It wasn't the real Christians. It was the phony Christians. The problem now is that if you called such a meeting now, you would have thousands of Christians show up, but they're not the real Christians. They're the phony Christians, the fake Christians, the idolaters, who don't really know religion. They think religion is what they think, and this is why they've got 40,000 denominations. Religion is what you do. And what you're doing is forcing your neighbors to contribute to your welfare. You're not living by faith. You're not living by hope. You're not living by charity. And you're not living by the perfect law of liberty, which is why you are not at liberty. So, if we're going to talk about health care, how do you fix it? In the kingdom. In kingdom ways. In righteous ways. Well, somebody sent an article out. uh, I think it was in the Carolina group. If you want to know about these things and you want to have people help you do what we're going to be talking about, you got to go join the Living Network at the It'll take you to another page where you can sign up, probably on our preparing you wiki site, where you can sign up for the Living Network, which is just email groups based on geography. And they're all connected by uh, ministers of record and what we call PCMs or contact ministers or team leaders or whatever, and you pick the contact ministers, I mean, you can volunteer. It's not a ministry of the church. It's just you pick guys who are going to help you organize. And it's like, you know, you're going to have a soccer game with a bunch of guys out back and you say, okay, let's choose our teams. Okay, uh, Steve and Mike are, are the team leaders. And then Steve and Mike pick who's going to be on their team. Each one, you know, I'll take you. And then he says, I'll take you. And then they divide up a team and then they make a team. And we used to do that as a kid. It's, it, it's a way of getting organized so you can have a game. Well, in the game of life, you need to organize. But you're not picking guys who will exercise authority you're picking guys who will help you organize that's what you're doing so anyway on the living network you do that and we'll we'll bring you to uh show you some of these um, information centers that we have we have courses that are being put on we have uh conference calls every week several of them women's conference calls health conference calls um I have a conference call just about right after this show's over. And uh, somebody else is running it, but I usually try to show up, listen in, and answer any questions that I can contribute to. But anyway, they sent a little article out entitled Jeffrey Singer, the man who was treated for $17,000 less than what the hospital wanted to charge. And he was going to go in for a minor surgery, and, and uh, his he had a kind of a nondescript health care insurance program that didn't require that you go to certain hospitals or whatever, and it would pay so much money, you know, $2,500 for a surgeon and $2,500, I think, uh, for hospital charges. So that would be $5,000 for this particular procedure. And uh, the estimated hospital charges was $23,000. And uh, I don't know if they were going to pay the doctor out of that, but uh, anyway, his share of that expense was going to have to come out of his pocket. Well, the insurance company was only going to pay up to 5000 so that would mean that he had to come up with this $20,000. So based on that, that, somehow this overall cost would have been $25,000. Uh, thousand dollars, not twenty three thousand dollars, assuming that the, the hospital charges didn't include the doctor. But anyway, the point was, is he couldn't pay that and he couldn't pay it up front. And so, uh, he canceled the surgery and told the doctor, and the doctor knew that he needed it and so he went to him and they started talking and they decided that he would start the whole process over again but he wouldn't mention his insurer. He would just say that he was going to be, you know, paying it himself. It's going to be a cash pay patient. And uh, so now the insurance company is completely out of the picture and he negotiated the charge down so it ended up that he saved seventeen thousand dollars on the cost of the insur uh, of the thing because hospitals jack up the price for insurance people and they then they many insurance companies haven't negotiated with they never pay the full amount they pay less but it's a lot of paperwork for the hospitals and everything so there's actually and I've heard about this uh that it's not mentioned in that article, but where doctors now say we're not going to handle any insurance. We don't. We if you have insurance, we don't even want to know about it. This is what we're we're going to negotiate the money down. We're going to charge this much for a visit and this much, and but you have to pay it. We're not going to do the insurance thing. And uh prices plummet, because the doctor's not dealing with insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid and all this stuff. They're just providing services. That's it. And so they're able to lower the cost tremendously. And so anyway, we saw that and we shared that article out. Well, on our Preparing new website, we've also... Uh, added a, a page uh, negotiating health care costs and you can find it on our health uh, it's preparing you dot com y-o-u dot com and we have a section on health and in that there's two links that one goes to health share and the other one goes to uh, negotiating health care costs and on that I just put Half a dozen or actually closer to ten links today. Somebody else started the page on tips of lowering medical bills, how to negotiate medical bills, uh, ten ways to negotiate a medical bill, this article after article that's showing you how to take care of these problems. And I, I just noticed looking at the page, uh, I have to go back in and edit it. These pages are created by the people in the network. Uh, anybody who's in the network can actually sign up and become an editor for these pages and contribute to it. Like any, you know, like Wikipedia. That's why we call it the wiki site because we have uploaded the wiki software. where you become an editor so that if you can go through and you see a typo, you can fix it. If you go through and say, you know, they ought to know about this site over here because this really has some good information. You can add it yourself. You see, in the kingdom, health care and government and righteousness is the responsibility of every one of you. That's, you are the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So if there's a health care need, you need to come together and do it. We just paid... Part of a, a medical bill for one of our congregational uh, people. And the way we set up our congregations is the way the early church did it, which you probably have no knowledge of whatsoever, because you guys haven't been doing what Christ said for so long that you read the Bible and you don't have any information at all. And it's like the, the whole unicorn thing, which we just shared on Facebook. As you know, They mention unicorns in the Bible, and I hear these critics of the Bible saying, Unicorns in the Bible, there's no unicorns, so why are we even listening to the Bible? They're talking about unicorns. Well, the fact is, there's books out that tell you about unicorns. You can go down to the zoo and see unicorns right now. The word unicorn 200 years ago meant a rhinoceros. You look it up in the dictionary. A rhinoceros was a unicorn and a unicorn was a rhinoceros. It's only recently that somebody drew a picture of a Horse with a single horn coming out of its head. That's not what a unicorn was. There's books out that just came out about unicorns, and it's got pictures of rhinoceroses on the front because there's a one-horn unicorn and there's a two-horn unicorn, uh, which they don't call a unicorn, but um, uh, I think binicorn, and uh, that's the two-horn rhinoceros, which both are mentioned in the Bible. If you go back to the original languages that we see the Bible in, the Latin, uh, we can see them referenced there very clearly in the Latin. The same word they have there is the same word that they use in science today to describe a rhinoceros. Uh, so anyway, it, it, all you'd have to do is know the meaning of words. You might have to go back to the 200-year-old dictionary <laughs> to, 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 to get that, but that's what we're showing you with religion. Two hundred years ago, religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. Two thousand years ago, that's what it was. But then there are always these groups, these Pharisees and these false Christians and these false religionists who want to turn religion into what you think. Cause it's so much easier just to think something than to actually do something. That comes from a socialist state of mind. You don't actually want to physically love your neighbor. You just want to sit there in the pew and, and think lovely thoughts. You see, so anyway, we had an individual, a young boy got hurt. He was helping some people move and got cut. And, and he ended up not telling anybody about it and treated himself. And, and uh, it got infected. He had gone swimming and something gotten into it and it, it got serious. And they didn't know what to do. With it. When they discovered the problem, how bad it was, and it was holiday, I guess, or something, and they went to an emergency room. And they thought the bill was going to be within reason. And it ended up being way higher than it should have been. And the church decided to help them out with it. to And they negotiated the bill down from what it was, and I I actually believe that if we got better at this, we can negotiate it way down. (laughs) It was negotiated quite a ways down. But I think we can get better at it and negotiate it down. And, And we have an advantage, I believe, that the church has no obligation like an insurance company might. But see, you actually see hospitals... And uh, doctor's offices especially, trying to get away from the insurance thing. Not very many of them, but some of them have made that move to get away from using insurance and they can lower the bill because of the paperwork that they don't have to mess with. So right away, knowing where those doctors are can save you money. In a network, we can share that information. And that's why we have the wiki site. That's why we have the living network is that people who find out ways of sharing the load can share the load with each other and make life better for their neighbor. And what do you call that? Love! You see? We're actually physically working. And I put up, the the, like I say, there's about a dozen different places that tell you tips on lowering your bills and negotiating bills and rules for negotiating your medical bills. All those links are there and and you can go and learn that stuff and find out about that and become an expert I mean you could have a hobby where you know you uh, uh, collect bottle caps or you know or, or whatever or you could have a hobby where you learn about negotiating medical bills that's to, to certain people that's a challenge they they really like to do those kinds of things. You know, like I have one son who he grew up he read all the Hardy Boys and then he went to Louis Lemours and read all the Louis Lemours. And I mean he read them and read them and he read some of the books twice, you know. He was reading one book, he was halfway through it and he's he all of a sudden realized, Oh, I read this before <laughs> I, I get the first paragraph in and I think I read this before. And I'm not a big one for reading a lot of fiction. I have in the past, growing up. But, I'm not big for that. Uh, I like solving problems. Well, my daughter's that way. She, she couldn't read the Hardy Boys. After the first one or two, she thought, this is boring. You know what's gonna happen. <laughs> you know, Nancy Drew was like, ugh. She hated that her cousin just devoured Nancy Drews but she couldn't see what but she was reading Isaac Asimov and uh, and the cosmos and uh, you know uh, science reports and how things work that's just the way she was and I have I have another son the youngest son he he you know he'd rather read an automotive manual than a, a fiction because that's the kind of mind he has. Well, that tells you something. Now, there are people who like to solve problems. Now, so here's here's a challenge: become a medical negotiator. There's actual, it's an actual business. You can actually go into business because think about it. This guy saved seventeen thousand dollars on on a a bill that was going to come to around twenty three or twenty five thousand dollars. That's huge, huge percentage of savings. If you gave 10% to the medical negotiator, (laughs) he'd be making good money. 10% of $17,000, $1,700, what is it, two, three hours maybe, maybe an hour's worth of phone calls. And you could have saved somebody $17,000 and they give you 10%, everybody goes away happy. I not the hospital, but <laughs> they do. They settle. They don't have to agree to the negotiation. The point is, is this is people helping people. You don't have to go to Africa to help people. You don't have to go to the dark jungles of, uh, of uh, Borneo to help people. You can help people right here and now. And you know what's really fun? Helping people that want to help people. You see, those are the ones you really want to help. You know, if we were to start a food kitchen, we would want the people who we were feeding to be a part of the food kitchen. If you started the Gleaners, Gleaners is a really great project. If you don't understand what that is, join the network and ask. There are all kinds of things that you can do. And and that's why we have this wiki site so that people can start to set these things up and do these things. Health share. If the church was doing what it should be doing and had been doing it for the last hundred years, everybody who went to a true Christian church would be exempt from Obamacare. Now, believe it or not, Christians were exempt from Nerva Care. You know when he set up universal health care. They were exempt from that. This is why they were persecuted. One of the reasons. Because they had a system of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And it was called church. You, you, you had a problem. You went to church. I'll show you how this could actually work even better. We had a, somebody came here to one of the feasts. We're having a feast next week. That's our burning bush festival in the fall. And well, we had one come years ago. I don't remember if it was then or Pentecost or what, but uh, anyway, he came and he had been bitten by a cat shortly before he came. His own cat. He was holding it and something happened and the cat got a frightened and bit him in the thumb. And it was infected while he was here at the treat-, treat. He opened up the bandage and we looked at it and you could see red streaks going up his arm this He was blood poisoning. This guy, that red streak keep going up, he's going to die. We soaked it. We treated it right here. He didn't want to go to the doctor. He wanted to go to the hospital. And uh, we would have taken him, but he didn't want to go. So we treated it right here. It was gone the next day. It was healed up before he left. How did we treat it? Just old remedies. Not Nothing expensive. We just did it right there. And the red streaks went away within hours. And it was healing up by the next day. And before he left, you could hardly even see it. And didn't cost us anything. And we, we have found all sorts of ways. And I, I believe that sometimes the actual remedy that we are using, the common remedies that they don't teach you anymore because there's no money in it, but they're there. I believe that there's an actual blessing that comes from the effort of people to care for one another out of love. There's actually a mystical healing that goes along with those efforts. just like the prodigal son returning to his father's house for the purpose of serving his father. His father runs out and meets him. That's salvation. That's the miracle of salvation. If you just sit back there in the pig farmer's house, reaping the pig farmer's benefits, and think you want to go back to your dad's house, do you think you're safe? No, you actually have to start back. You have to turn around, repent, and return to the righteousness of God by loving one another in real ways that make real differences. And until we meet again next week, or actually in a few minutes for some of you, peace on your house. Stay tuned.
0: You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Thank you. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God and we've been talking about health care health share, taking care of one another, being real Christians, loving one another in real ways that make a difference in their lives, so it makes a difference in their hearts and their minds. You see, people who spend their life taking care of the needs of others are practicing pure religion if they do that in a righteous way. Now, one of the things about doing that in a righteous way is that you have to be strengthening the poor. A lot of people think, "Oh, let's just go help the poor." You know, let's get, let's just go somewhere and help the poor. You know, you can find poor everywhere. The Jesus, the poor you will have with you always. He says. So there's always going to be somebody who's poor and downtrodden and not have, and you can always find them to help. But that isn't really what Christ is all about. He didn't come and you know, there were actually people he refused to help. You know, he actually, you know, that we know that he is not going to help the, the Samaritan lady. And he, he makes a big deal out of it. I think he really deep down knew that he was going to help, but he had to get her to a position of humility so that her faith would save her and her daughter. And... uh and this is important. That's what I, I I have as a part of my obligation to get you to a point of humility by telling you you're idiots. <laughs> that you really screwed up. That you've done this the wrong way and that you have false religion uh, coming out your ears. And, uh, you know, I have to be the iconoclast who kind of gives you a hard time. But, you know, I'm doing it for your own good. I mean, Christ did it. What do you think they hated him for? He's pointing out, you know, the... the the religion of the Pharisees, the Corban of the Pharisees, makes the Word of God to none effect. They were very proud of their system of Corban. It was very successful. I mean, with the money they got from that system of Corban, they were able to build these these uh, the Golden Temple, you know, of uh, Herod. Money just poured in with this new system, but. It also, so did the unfaithful, pour into their system. And their f- system was filled with the unfaithful. And Christ was calling the faithful out. And right now, you're all in a state religion. Because religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. That's that's what James says. But pure religion is doing it without the help of the constitutional order or system of government, which he calls The world, he uses a word that means constitutional order or system of government. He says, "Without unspotted by the world, without being tainted by the system of the world. What was the system of the world at that time? Men who called themselves benefactors exercised authority. They forced your neighbor to contribute. They forced you to contribute to the welfare of the whole. It was socialism. That was the constitutional order and system of government at that time. In Rome Rome had gone from a republic to an indirect democracy to an imperial power after a civil war. And in the very first days of uh, Christianity, we saw them take the silver out of the Roman denarii. Nero took out 40%, and then by Diocletian there was nothing left. It was just iron coin, just like you guys. And the government was in debt up to its ear. It had... uh, put in universal health care and a lot of other government, you know, free bread and circuses. You've heard that term. That means welfare system. There was times when half the people in Rome were on some form of government dole. That's how they'd gone from a republic where charity was taken care of by free will offerings to their temples, which we would call churches today, but they... You know, they call it temple. The temple was not really a building. the The Latin word "templum," which we translate into temple, it's actually a location. That's right. It was a location. It was an area which was called the templum. In the templum, they might build temples, which were usually not really big buildings, but they were, you know, they would have have some statues or something like that in them, and you could actually have meetings in them and stuff. But uh, most of the ceremonies were t- took place outside. Um, but that was located in the templum, in what we call the temple, which was an area, not a building. There were other buildings in that area. Banks were in that area. Uh Civil depositories of, you know, your birth certificate would be at the Temple of, of Saturn. When you wanted to go get your welfare, you would go to the place where the temple of Syracuse or whatever temple you were using, like Jerusalem Temple. That's where you went to get your welfare. Now, they had distribution places throughout the communities, uh, which we call synagogues, but they were all connected to the temple because it had become top-down. It had been top-down for a long time, but it had really become top-down. And that's what Christ was preaching against. Because the people weren't free. And if people aren't free, uh, if they're forced to contribute, and everybody has to contribute, no child is left behind. Nobody is left behind. And you create this system of Corbin. It makes the word of God the none effect. You see, that's what Corbin was, it was a social welfare system. You would got baptized by Herod's ministers. You know, some of you have already heard this, but this is really important to repeat it because you're not going to hear it anywhere else. And, you know, every show, you never know who comes on and they listening. But the Corban of the Pharisees was a system set up by Herod where he sent out ministers to baptize you and scribes to register you as a member of a social welfare institution. He had one at Jerusalem, which we call the temple. And he had another one called the Temple of Roma. For those who didn't want to do the Jewish thing, didn't want to get circumcised and everything, wanted to do the Roman thing, he built a temple for them. But what was going on in that temple was it was managing a social welfare system that you had to pay in a portion of your income of whatever you made. If you had grain crops, you had to give in a portion or the value of that into the treasury which they also called Corbin. The word Corbin is also translated treasury. It actually comes from the Hebrew word meaning sacrifice. The sacrifices were not voluntary anymore. They weren't based on faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. They were based on compelled offerings. And people liked that because they said, well, now I know my neighbor has to pay in. Whether they like to or not. If they don't, soldiers will come to their house and take their house away or throw them in jail or punish them somehow. People like that. It's covetous. It's against the law of God. But people like that. And if you say, you know, that's, that's evil. To be a part of that system. It shows a lack of faith. They get all upset. What do you mean? I have my religion. I believe in God. You know, the devil believes in God. He just doesn't do what God says. So believing in God, pff, what's that? That don't mean anything. Are you doing what God says? No, you're not. You're doing the opposite of what God said. You go to church to make you feel good about all the evil you do the rest of the week. What evil? Says, I didn't do any evil. You just send your kids to public school. That's evil. Yeah, it's evil because you're forcing your neighbor to pay for the expense. You see? You're coveting your neighbor's goods. How many people don't have any kids in school and they have to pay in anyway? They have to pay in or you'll take their house away. Oh, I know you won't take their house away, but you'll send men with guns to take their house away. Do you you get that? That's, That's called coveting your neighbor's goods. That's called praying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You know, it's really simple. But if you want to believe... Something else. You're gonna find all kinds of reasons why I'm nuts. And you're okay. You see? That's your religion. That's how you fulfill your obligation to your fellow man. Is through a system of Corbin that makes the word of God to none effect. That is not pure religion. Is impure religion. Is the way of Herod. The way of Cain. The way of Nimrod. The mighty provider instead of the Lord. You see? I'm repeating the same thing over and over again. So what we were going to talk about is health care, and we we did in the last show, that you gather together in congregations of ten families and you start becoming the health care system of those families. That means you have to put some blood on the altar. The altars are living altars. They're real stones. You You have to contribute something. Get blood flowing in the community. You say, well, we don't have any needs at our congregation this week, so we don't have to give anything. But it's not just your congregation. We're talking kingdom. And all these congregations are linked. So you put money in. Something in. You know, you could, you could actually give stuff. That's okay. And the minister, if he wants to receive it, he can turn around and sell it. You can give him a sheep. And he can turn around and sell that sheep to somebody else. Maybe he'll have a buyer already set up. And that buyer will give him some kind of funds that he can take care of. And then... Uh, if there's a need, like there was with this medical bill that was suddenly you know three times what they thought it was going to be, four times what it was, they thought it was going to be, I guess maybe even five times. I, I, it depends on your math. But it was a lot more than they were expecting. Now, they negotiated it down, but they still had to pay a lot more than they were expecting. The church just paid it. We didn't pay all of it. They paid what they could, and we paid the rest. And so they're because the hospital was getting this money up front, they were willing to negotiate down. And like the web page that I just put up, and well, somebody else put up, but I added to it, uh, shows you all kinds of ways to negotiate it down, so that it's reasonable. And we have a network of people that will help pay that bill up front, so the negotiation could go down. Because that's what, really what they want; they want their money soon. You see, many of these hospitals they turn the collection of those funds. You know, After 30 days or sometimes 90 days, they'll turn the collection of those funds over to a collection agency that's going to charge them. In my experience with collection agencies, when I used to be out there working in the world where we had to hire collection agencies, the collection agency would take 50% of the bill. They would take 50% of whatever they collected. So when somebody owed the company money, I would call them up and say, Look, I've got to turn this over to a collection agency. Or if you pay a sufficient amount now, we'll cancel the bill. Because I'm not going to get half of it anyway. So if he did would come up half, and sometimes they'd come up with 70 percent, I'd be hey, okay, sure, fine. You pay this, we'll cancel the bill. I won't turn it over to a collection agency. That's simple, you know. And I also did the work of a collection agency sometimes. Is you know I would take them to court. This is in my earlier life and uh but I did it for no, I didn't i it was my job and and they did owe the money and uh and I gave them every opportunity to pay it off. I actually had one person who was working for a senator at the state capitol, and they owed money, and I said, "Look, you owe this money, you're responsible for it. you screwed up uh and they they tried to hide you know, I found them where they went to, went right to their door, and I said, "Look." You owe this money. I'm going to take it to court. Your employer is going to find out that you didn't pay your rent and that you were shacking up with another guy who was sconded with the money <laughs> and all these bad things. They're going to find out all about that. Or you're going to start making payments, one or the other. You can make payments you can afford, but you're going to pay this. And she needed to know that because she had done really stupid things. <laughs> and I was I was strengthening the poor she was going to learn her lesson. Unfortunately, she wanted to learn it the hard way. She didn't she want to learn that thou shalt not fornicate <laughs> with bikers <laughs> who are bums and and slobs but, and dishonest crooks. But she's going to learn that lesson. And so anyway, the point is, is our health care system has to have the strengthening the poor concept in it, too. Yeah, we want to negotiate their medical bills down, but we also want them to take on the responsibility of their health. You know, they can't be destroying their health. You know, point oh, actually oh point eight percent of the people die from homicides. I I don't know if that's a world statistic or a U.S. statistic. Sixty-eight percent of the people die from diet-related illnesses. 68 percent, 68.0 percent die from diet-related illnesses. Only 0.8 die from homicide. What is that? You know, I I remember seeing where uh, an inspector was coming up in a show uh, inspecting, it was that um, Alaska Gold show. Somebody sent us a video of that. We saw it, And the inspector was shutting down the mines for safety reasons. And these guys, the, the one company had worked there for some 20-some years and never had an accident claim. But this guy was going to shut them down for safety reasons, for their own good and for their own safety. The guy who was doing it was at least twice the weight that he should have been for his size, you know, for his height. I mean, he had a gut on him that hung out way beyond. Now, he could not see his shoes. Okay? <laughs> I don't think he could reach him hardly. But you want to know what was... The the one that was in danger there wasn't the miners. It was the safety inspector. I think we needed a pie police to keep him from eating any more pie. If <laughs> I caught him in a restaurant... I would go and confiscate his pie (laughs) and say, uh, I have to uh, remove this pie uh, for safety reasons. Uh, You're clearly overweight, and you're endangering your life by eating this pie. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, you cannot resume eating this pie until you have taken proper safety courses on diet. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway... uh, but this is the mindset is the fact that you need to be actually caring about one another and you're going to come up with solutions health solutions that really make a difference when you start caring about one another in these real ways in righteous ways and so anyway you you've formed these congregations of 10 like the early church did All over Europe you see this, and even parts of Asia you would see this in history, and we show this in the book, That Kingdom Comes. And they pick a minister of the ten. He's not ruling over them, he's not telling them what they can think, he's just like them, he's studying the word, he's trying to figure out what is righteous, he's trying to conform to Christ and to God's way, but he's also linking you with other congregations, because he gets in a congregation of ministers or others that are seeking the kingdom. And they pick a minister. So you, you do this, and they call it the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you have a whole network of people. Now, there are people trying to do this politically, and lots of luck with that. They have to see what's really brought them into bondage. Isn't in The government hasn't brought you into bondage. You put yourself into bondage because you coveted your neighbor's goods. I mean, Peter tells you, through covetousness they shall make merchandise of you. Through great feigned words promising you liberty, they end up making you workers of iniquity by by your covetous systems. You see, that's how you go into bondage. Not because the government changes. It's because you change your relationship with the government. Instead of Trusting in God, trusting in righteousness, trusting in the ways of honor and coming together in love for one another. You didn't trust in that. You trusted in the ministers of Herod who exercised authority one over the other. And you said, hey, if I join this system, my neighbor has to contribute to my welfare. You know, I, I can't believe the people that say, you know, I paid into Social Security so I have the right to take out. You're not taking out your money. Your money's gone. Thieves and robbers broke in and took it. Ma's ate it up, rusted out through inflation. It's gone. It's not there anymore. If you want any money out of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, if you want anything out of those, you've got to take from your children and your grandchildren and your neighbor's children and their grandchildren because they're, all these systems are operating in debt. They wanted to because they know debt is slavery. And they want you enslaved. They want you bound in the elements of the world. That is the nature of evil. And if we show you the way out, we want to make sure we're showing it to people who actually love their neighbor as themselves. And they're actually coming together in networks of charity and love and faith. That means you have to Form a congregation with whoever you want. I mean, it's free. Will choice. You're at liberty to gather with anybody you want. And start contributing to that network in ways that you decide are good. I mean, you can change at any time. See, in the system you're in now, you know, you can't change. The medical care that you want or don't want, you're not going to have a choice. You're going to have to take their medicine... Whether you like it or not. I point out when the Romans had universal health care, some of their health remedies involved donkey dung and goat urine. Okay? <laughs> I don't know how you take it. You rub it on, you know, I don't know if it cures baldness or what it's used for. But you needed at the pharmaceutical there was Evidently, containers of, of donkey dung <laughs> and goat urine. And whatever they did with it, you know, that's that involved part of their medical society at the time. You know, one of the first martyrs, Christian martyrs, you don't even probably know about him. Everybody thinks it was Stefan, But one of the very first martyrs, I mean, Stephan was martyred because of the money. Follow the money. Once you understand what Stefan was, he was one of seven. They tell you in the Old Testament that you were to pick seven. They were just doing what they tell you in the Old Testament. Pick seven, even eight, it said. And we could be doing that right now, but you have to form a bigger network than what we have. And that means you have to actually... And you have to form it in real ways. And if I don't see real ways, I'm not recognizing you are part of our network. You just go do your own thing. That's fine. It's free country. If you want to bring candy bars and... uh, And hamburger in your tent in grizzly bear country, you can do that. You just can't bring it into my tent. Because, you know, it's one of those deals that I don't have to outrun the grizzly bear. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) You guys go do your own thing. I'm doing what Christ said. Anyway, if you form these real networks based on faith, hope, and charity, and honor, and righteousness you will create an alternative system. And with that will come alternative solutions. You know, we've seen instantaneous healing. Just by not even getting to the remedy. Just by touch. And this is what that first martyr was doing. He was actually a dentist. In Bergamon, Which happens to be the center of Pharmaceutica in, in the days of Rome. You know, they had the same medical symbol you see today. I mean, history repeats itself. Symbols are, uh, actually, you see them showing up age after age. Same symbols. But anyway, uh, people would come there to have him work on their teeth, and they would be healed of other problems. So all kinds of people were bringing coming to him. You see, he was, he was operating in the kingdom with the spirit of holiness, and when he would touch them, they would actually be healed of other problems, and so people were bringing, uh, coming to this dentist to solve other medical problems, like they came to Christ, and he was accused of practicing medicine without a license, which in those days could actually incur a death sentence, and it did in his case. <laughs> that was one of the first martyrs. So you know the the reality is is that if you begin to operate by faith, open charity, and actually start becoming real Christians, and implement the Corbin of Christ in your congregations, which means that you give. Your heart doesn't just beat when you're running and working. It has to beat when you're resting. And even if you have no need in your congregation, there may be needs in other congregations. Now, you get to choose which ministers that you will contribute to, and how much, and you get to... Watch how much he, and what he does with it. In the religion you belong to now, in the Corbin you belong to now, you don't get to choose. I knew somebody who didn't get their social security number until they were in their 20s. And that their wife was insisting upon them getting this social security number. And uh, it wasn't as bad as it is today. I mean, according to Title 42, Section 666, you got to have that number to do anything. And I'm not saying get rid of the number. I'm saying seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because if you, until you start doing that, I would advise you not to get rid of the number. You, you, and that's the way Christ was doing it. He was teaching people how to love one another. They didn't get out of the system until Pentecost. You know, if they got the baptism of Christ, they were kicked out. And that was their opting out. But until then, they, they paid their tally of bricks. They gave to Caesar what it was Caesar's. They paid the Pharisees their pound of flesh. But they started learning what it was to be a real Christian and start really taking care of one another. And that's what you need to do. You need to start doing that and the way to do that is to gather together in small, intimate congregations so you know everybody in your congregation or get to know them. You won't know everybody to start with. You won't even know who should be the best minister. But you pick somebody and you give them a shot because you can change any time in the system of God. Because the right to choose remains with you. In the system of the world, once you're in, you're subject to the will of the mob, to the will of the indirect democracy, to the Sanhedrin, to whatever, the Congress, you call Congress, Parliament, I don't care where you are. You always got a name for it. And once you join their group, they promise you liberty. But they make you servants of iniquity. They make you merchandise. They make you a human resource. They even have a human resource department. And they can take your children and and they can force these remedies on you. You know what's in the original polio vaccine? Monkey pus, including... A virus that destroys a protein in your body called P54, I think it is, which kills cancer cells. So, once that monkey pus, that monkey virus that they made the vaccine from is in your system, it begins to replicate itself like viruses do and connects itself to that protein that normally should be killing viruses and makes it inert. So you end up with you know ten, fifteen years, twenty years later, you end up with tumors blooming all over your near brain because that virus eventually gets in past the brain sheath and you know the nerve sheath that covers the brain and begins to connect to the proteins that would normally kill cancer cells in your body, and you die of cancer because you let them inject monkey pus into your arm. And that's what vaccines vaccines are made from a lot of other things that you really do not want pumped into your arm, you know, from aldehydes and what have you. Poisons, toxins, lead, all kinds of bad things. And you let them put that in there. So, you know, you might be better off with the donkey dung and go urine in Rome. <laughs> to be fair to the Romans, they had a lot of really great solutions. We'll talk about some of those great solutions that they had. Maybe we'll touch on a few of them uh, that are amazing that people are actually using today. What works, works. But you have to look at the big picture. Socialism in the big picture doesn't work. And we'll tell you why when we come back. And we'll show you what does when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I, I mentioned in the first part of the show the, some of the remedies of the Roman medical system, which became universal health care for a little while, uh, not very long. Because, uh, they, they, they did it to appease the people. They had become such a socialist state. As I said, 50% of the people in Rome were receiving some form of government dole. And people think, oh, that's unbelievable. Which, you know, the fact is, is that in the state of Oregon, 50% of the people receive a government check every month. A war, now. That's actually an old statistic. In the county where I live, 75% of the people receive a government check every month. And again, an old statistic. Now it's, the households actually, it's far more than 75%. I mentioned that to a group of guys at, in uh, Paisley and they all thought, oh, that's horrible. That's, that's unbelievable. And I says, you know, everybody in this little group here, we were standing out in the street, everybody in this little group, I'm the only one not receiving a government check. And they looked at me because all their wives worked for the government. <laughs> they were for the school, the Forest Service, or or, or something. And they they suddenly realized, oh yeah. And, and not only that, but all your parents are on social welfare, called Social Security. All you send your kids to public school, which is government welfare. Public schools is a welfare system, you know. It's the government collecting money from your neighbor to pay for your child's education that's socialism I, I don't you can call it anything you want, but it's socialism and by moving in that direction, you've changed your mindset to covet means you know in a speech that given by Kennedy years ago he says talks about this vast conspiracy controlling the government he wants you know he's going to enter into this period of controversy and you know he gave I think it was at the Waldorf Astoria he gave the speech and in it he talks about to covet means and now I've seen where they transcribe that covet uh um uh, what do they call it not covet but um covert means but that is isn't what he said he said to covet means and covet means is to means of covetousness to getting you to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of the government. They have brought the whole world back into the bondage of Egypt. And this is why Christ says, Paul says, to not covet. And in systems of social welfare, based on force, is coveting your neighbor's goods by applying to men who call themselves benefactors and exercise authority one over the other why do I always keep going back to that phrase? Because Jesus says it was not to be that way with you. When he appointed the kingdom to the apostles, he says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. He said he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees, which was a system of government. He was going to get pointed to his little flock, and then he does. But the instructions at that time was, he says, you're not to be like the princes of the Gentiles. In other words, there are going to be princes... Of a government. They were going to be the leaders of a government. Apostles, ambassadors. That's what apostle means. Ambassadors for a government. That's what he was appointing. The government of God that he was taking away from the Pharisees and appointing to these men. This little flock. He didn't appoint it to everybody. He appointed it to these men. There's several different words used in the Greek when they, you see the word appoint. So you have to look at the original one and we explain all this in the Free Church Report. But he's telling you that I'm appointing the kingdom of God to these men just as Moses had appointed it to the Levites. And they were going to do the exact same thing that the Levites were doing. They weren't going to do what you think the Levites were doing. They were going to do what the Levites were really Supposed to be doing. Which was operating a system of Corbin, sacrifice, that makes the word of God to effect. And that's what the early church was doing. That's not what the church of Constantine was doing. Although it looked a little bit like that. There were some problems with it. But the church that Christ appointed. So they were actually a form of government. That Jesus appointed to this little flock we call the church. Jesus appointed that government. He took away from the Pharisees and appointed to the apostles. Today, if you were to look up the word church in a legal dictionary, it says that it's one form of government. What form is that? It's a pure republic. The leaders are titular. They don't have any exercising authority over you at all. They can't make you do anything. They don't have soldiers that they send into your house and kick in doors to make you contribute. They don't have that power. It's not that form of government. That's the form of government that you have prayed at, applied to, sought after, made covenants with. It's not that form of government that brings you into the bondage of the elements of the world. It is how you live by faith, hope, and charity, government. The leaders are titular. The only authority they have is over what you choose to give them and your power not to give next week gives you all the power so that you are the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. If you give the power to the government to force your neighbor to contribute, then the government has the power to force you to contribute. And the power is no longer in your hands. The right to choose, the liberty, the excusia, as it would say in Greek, is no longer in your hands. It's in the hands of those men you elect. In the true church, the men you elect never have your power to choose except over what you give them. You give them ten bucks, they have the right to choose over that. And you can watch and see what they do with it. They do a good job, you can give them fifteen bucks next time. If they don't do a good job, you can give them five bucks or nothing. That's the only government you will be free in. There is no other government to be free in. And that government is, is in a sorry state today because you've all gone whoring after the God's many of the world and prayed at their altars, their civic altars. You see, Christ was setting up living altars. To tell you the truth, Moses set up living altars with the Levites. And Abraham actually was setting up living altars. This fellow in Australia kept referring to Abraham, because of an article that he sent, as, uh, the lone arranger. As if he went out alone. And he was this isolated individual. He actually left Ur, or uh, uh, Haran with many souls. That's right, many souls. Who's never this lone ranger? When Sodom and Gomorrah and, and other city states were being gobbled up by this huge army that was marching around, conquering one city state after another, who stopped them? Who stopped that evil in the land? Was it Sodom and Gomorrah? No, they were overrun. They were robbed. They were they were pillaged and and uh, plundered and spoiled. But it was Abraham, the Lone Ranger. The guy kept calling him Lone Ranger in the article. No, Abraham wasn't a Lone Ranger. He he was able to muster two hundred armed, I think it was two hundred armed men. Overnight, but that wasn't enough to defeat this whole army of two hundred men. His neighbors, who are his neighbors other men. Remember how he was going around setting up these altars? He was setting up living altars. A gathering of stones is a gathering of friends in the Hebrew language. we, We explain all this in the book, That Kingdom Comes, so you can go read that. But the point is, that's what he was really doing. And what they tell you he was doing is nonsense. Just like the unicorn like I said we posted I said this in an earlier show we posted this thing on unicorns uh, one of the, our ministers did on the on the facebook and you know I posted a video and we're now putting it up on the wiki on unicorns and in it they talk about unicorns in the Bible and they show he shows on videos of other guys who think they're very smart talking about unicorns in the Bible and saying well If we're going to use the Bible as a source of information, what are we going to do with a unicorn? Because there are no known unicorns anywhere. Uh, They've never found a fossil of a unicorn. No one's ever seen a unicorn. And the Bible talks about unicorns in nine places. And people who are as ignorant as that guy think, oh, yeah, yeah, the Bible talks about unicorns. It's all fiction. There's no unicorns. And the video goes on to show very well. I think the guy does a really good job. And he has several others out that I also think are remarkably well done. Showing you that there are unicorns. And just about everybody you know has seen a unicorn. A living unicorn. Walking around. You can see them on YouTube every day. Real unicorns. Yeah. Unicorns. Yeah. Walking down. There are books that just came out on unicorns. Did you know that? Well, what's a unicorn. You see, if you don't know the meaning of words, you could be so deceived. You might actually think religion is what you think about the Creator. That You could actually be that deceived to think that religion has something to do with what you think about the Creator of the universe or the, a supreme being. When religion is actually how you perform, your duty and obligation to God and your fellow man. You see, because they changed the meaning of words. You know, 200 years ago, or 100 years ago, a unicorn was a rhinoceros, a one-horned rhinoceros, and a binocorn was a two-horned rhinoceros. And that's what they're talking about in the Bible. Even In the Latin Bible, it's the same word for unicorn that you see is the word that they use in science to describe the rhinoceros. And when you look at it in the context in the Bible, it makes absolute perfect sense. And the video lays it out much better than I'm laying it out right now. And it makes all these other guys that are mocking the Bible look like blooming idiots. The problem is, the word unicorn is not the only word they've been messing around with. The word faith, the word religion. These are words that they have been messing around with. And we have an article coming out, we'll probably talk about it in another show, on juries. There's another word. Now, a jury is a jury is a jury, but not all juries are created equal. A jury used to decide and should decide fact and law. When you have a crime, a criminal, a jury decides fact and law. It says so in the Oregon Constitution, says in the Constitution of many, 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 many states. It says so. Adams said so. Holmes said so. Jay said so. Said it was not only the right of the jury, but the obligation and duty of the jury to decide fact and law. And in the article that we have coming out, we talk about the fact that in a brochure put out by the Oregon Bar Association for jurors, you know, handbook. Uh, it says that juries don't have the right to decide the law. And it tells why. And in the article, we show you that the handbook is absolutely true. It's absolutely accurate. And it is totally deceptive. <laughs> you know, because, uh, when Adam and Eve ate the apple, They didn't die. They actually still were living. They were still talking, walking around, swallowed the apple. They didn't die, right? But yet, they did die. They didn't die, and they did die. How can they be both? Well, because being dead has numerous meanings. How can the dead bury the dead? Jesus talks about the dead burying the dead. They're they're not really dead, but they are really dead. It just depends on how you mean the word. That's why, you know, you're waiting for the zombie apocalypse. Look out your window. It's here already. (laughs) The zombie apocalypse has taken place. All those socialists out there, those are the zombies. Christian socialists are the worst zombies. They think that it's okay to take from your neighbor as long as you do it. To government. Because they think God created the government. But like I said, you created the government. The evil, covetous hearts of the people created the socialist government that thinks it's okay to take from their neighbor. And it's changed you. It's made you dead to Christ. If you want to be alive again, you have to repent. Turn around. Head back to your father's house. And your father's house is a righteous house. A house where people come together for the purposes of organizing themselves. Not binding themselves with constitutions and contracts and covenants and membership in congregations. But binding themselves by faith, hope, and charity. Which is love. You want to do that? It will change you. If you want to do what the world is offering you, that will change you too. It will make you something other than what you should be. You will no longer be in a state of nature. You will no longer be in a state of righteousness. Because you're willing to make your neighbor a human resource, you yourself will become a human resource. And they will force you To drink their cup, to take their vaccinations, to take their mark, to bind you in a system where you all become workers of iniquity. If you want to be free of that, you must repent and turn around and go the other way. You must start taking care of one another until the hewing cry of righteousness is back in the land again. If you don't do that first, you should not be free. The slothful should be under tribute. And you should have to pay Caesar. And he will take your sons. And he will make his instruments of war. And he will make your sons run before his chariots. And he will make your daughters his confectionaries. And he will take the first fruits of your labor. And the best of your fields for himself. And he will take, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take. And if you haven't figured out by now, I'm quoting from Samuel 8. And when you get down to the description where it says, And when you cry out, I will not hear you. Go and Cry unto the gods which you have chosen, the leaders which you have chosen for yourselves. Because God will not hear you. But if you repent and turn around and start caring about one another, He will hear you, and you will see the instantaneous, miraculous healings of God. You will see the blood poisoning disappear instantly. You will see the wounds heal up. You know, the outside wounds and, and... and, uh, decay is evidence of an internal wound, unhealed. A spiritual wound, unhealed. And it is a wake-up call. So all the bad things you see in the news of, of crazy insane crimes that we talked about in the first show, uh, the last show, that is symptoms of a disease of selfishness, of arrogance, of pride. You know, and you need to repent of that. You need to turn around. You need to go the other way. You need to change the way you've been thinking and think anew, like a child. You must look at all things anew. And I I was going to go into a uh, uh, a thing you know well I could I could briefly tell this I'll, I'll go into more detail in, in another show the ideological agenda that's going on uh, and this is quotes from Northwestern Northwestern University in Evanston Illinois the heart of America but there are red states and there are blue states and what they're finding out is amongst the socialists the liberal socialist, liberal socialist Democrats, um, birth rates are way down. And amongst conservative birth rates are way up. And they, they don't really go into an explanation of why. And it's really very simple. Statistically, socialists are selfish. They're more selfish. And to have children and to produce children is an unselfish act. I mean, generally speaking, it's not always purely unselfish. But it can be an unselfish act. I mean, a lot of children are born... Um, because people are really selfish, and they didn't want to use protection. (laughs) But the fact is, is generally speaking, families, larger families, come from people that are not real selfish. They are givers of life, and they, they love children, and they love, you know, they don't even think anything of the sacrifice that comes along with producing children and raising children. And then you'll find this even more so, I mean, if you look under your socialists, and uh amongst your uh, conservative, and I'm not advising people to be conservative, I'm apolitical, I'm just talking about general themes in society, that you're going to find more homeschoolers amongst the conservatives than you are amongst the liberals. But you will find them in both places. But the point is, is the article goes on and say that what are they going to do about this because the conservatives would soon outnumber because the parents are raising... Well, one thing is they get the conservatives to send their kids to public school where they immediately begin to become social democrats and liberals and socialists of all sorts and uh, but really they're focusing on the universities and they talk about mom and dad will drive their SUV off toward the nearest gas station leaving their beloved progeny behind and he's talking about when they, uh, leave them at school. And then he says, then what? He proudly claims, and then they are all mine. In other words, your children are being brainwashed in these schools. If you, if you even use public school curriculums, you're in danger. Because the school books are so devastated. But what really is dangerous is the fact that you are requiring somebody else to pay for them. And they talk about, some of the people that are homeschooling their kids, and they talk about, oh look, they send us this, and they send us this, and they send us all these books, and they send us all these workbooks, and they, they do all these things, and wonderful, 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 and, but they don't send them to public school. But they don't realize that they're touching things that are of the altars of Baal. The altars of Baal, the, the Nicolaitan altars, the error of Nicolaitan. Who does God hate? He hates the Nicolaitans, he hates the error of Baal, and he hates Esau. Esau sold his birthright for benefits, for a pot of, you know, a bowl of pottage. Baal, same thing. Nicolaitan, conquered people. Baal, Balaam, uh, Nicolaitan, same thing, just different words. God hates that. When you sell your birthright for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. He hates that. And he doesn't want you to do it. And he isn't going to bless you if you do do it. And if you turn away from that, he will bless you. Summed up, simple. Till we meet again, may peace be upon your house and God be with you. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org.
0: God bless.